Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, week one in a brand new message series called Right Here, Right Now. And what we're doing is we're looking into the book of Esther. Now, if you're new to church and you didn't kind of grow up going to Sunday school, when I say the book of Esther, here's what I mean. The Bible, as we understand it, has 66 different books inside of it. The Bible, the Bible that you hold in your hand is really more of a library than just a book. There are 66 distinct literary works in that binding. One of them, from the Old Covenant, is called the Book of Esther. It's a remarkable story of female leadership in an age when women were often seen simply as property. And as is the case with any book of the Bible, when we look at it and read it, we find there are themes, big ideas that rise up out of the text. Two in particular rise up out of the book of Esther. So in the coming weeks, what we're going to be doing is exploring the idea that number one, you are where you are for just such a time as this. It's no accident that you are where you are in your life, that the things happening in your life and around you are happening now. It's not an accident. God has a purpose for all this. And point number two, rising up out of this text, is that God is always working behind the scenes. We don't always have the answers. There's a lot of things we don't have answers to, yeah? We don't have answers. We don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. A lot of things we're sort of ticked at. It's okay. We'd be honest about that, yeah? There are some things like, you know, when you get to heaven, you got some questions for God, don't you? You have some questions for God. You're going to, you know, not that, not that we're necessarily going to take an interrogatory tone, not that we're going to try to put God on trial, but, you know, there's going to come a point where, you know, on the other side of eternity, we're going to go, you know, God, what was the deal with this? Why did this have to happen? Why did this person have to die so soon? Why did I have to suffer through this? What, you know, we, we've got stuff we don't understand. And, and me too. We're all in this together, yeah? So, so what we're trying to do is see out of this text is going to rise up even when we don't have the, all the answers, God is at work behind the scenes. So we're going to start, before we jump into Esther chapter 1 verse 1, we're going to start with these verses from the book of 1 Corinthians to sort of set the stage. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. Then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So now everything we know is partial and incomplete. All that we know, we just have a little bitty pit, bit of the picture. We don't know. How many of you know you don't know everything? You don't know everything. Some of us think you do, especially if you're in your 20s, but you don't. You don't know everything. You just don't. We don't know everything. We have a little piece of the picture, and, and, and this, this piece of the picture that we have, that we see, that brings up these questions, it's an incomplete part of the picture. In eternity, the frame zooms out, and we see the entire picture. Answers are coming. God is at work behind the scenes, even in the things that confuse us. And you are where you are in life for just such a time as this. 
God's got a purpose for you, a plan for you. There's a reason why you're going through the stuff you're going through. That's what we're going to see rising up out of the text when we jump into the book of Esther. And with that, let's do exactly that. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from the royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to King Xerxes of Persia. Then, king of the world wouldn't have been too big a title. He ruled over 127 different provinces from India to Ethiopia. That is a vast swath of land. He was rich beyond compare. He was powerful beyond compare. And he wanted everybody to know it. He wanted to make sure, uh, Xerxes did, that everybody knew that he was the man. Now, if you've ever seen the movie 300, you might have a mental picture of what you think he looks like. That's not, this is that Xerxes. This is that Xerxes. Oh, okay, but, uh, you know, he was a historical figure. That was a characterized version of him, a caricature, I should say. He was, he was a real person, uh, but, and he wanted everybody to know that he was the man. So he throws a party for all of the princes and nobles and wealthy landowners and important people and politically connected people all throughout the land. And he invites them all to his fortress, to his palace. And he throws a party that lasts 180 days. And if you're counting at home, kids, that's six months. So this is a six-month party. Now, you and I have a way of taking, uh, you and I have a way of taking, you know, a uh, an event and turning it into a, le- a lengthier thing. Like it's not just Labor Day. It's Labor Day weekend. It's not just Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. It's not just Mother's Day anymore. It's Mother's Day weekend. And it's not just a bachelorette party anymore, is it? No, 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 no. It's bachelorette weekend because you're getting married and that means your friends have to spend thousands of dollars each to take you to an exotic faraway location called Nashville. (laughs) Are you going to go to Nashville and wave your cowboy hats around and pretend like you're not from Long Island? So that's Nashville. That's what happens in Nashville. So you you take an event, you make it. But I mean, even we don't stretch things out into six months. Six months is a long time. So uh, so all the, all the people are there and it's starting to go, it's starting to go a little sideways. Things are starting to come off the rails a little bit. And here's why. Verse seven, drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine, reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. So it's not just a six-month party, it's a six-month open bar. So this is six months. You're not going anywhere. You're staying there. You're staying put. Everybody's wrecked. 
Everybody's just, like, this is, it, it's starting to go a little crazy now, right? So, and he's got, he's got hundreds of people there, and he, this, this opulent, wonderful, generous show of his wealth, so everybody knows that he's the man. And, and Xerxes, you no know, thinks, you know, a, a week or two into this, he kind of thinks, you know, I, I, I don't know if everybody knows yet that I'm the man. I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm the man. And maybe what they need is to take a look at my wife. Next verse. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. So, King Xerxes is like a week into this six-month bacchanalia. Everyone's drunk. Every, it's just crazy. And he's thinking, man, these guys, these guys, I don't know if they appreciate me properly. I don't know if they fully understand how much the man I am. What I think maybe I need to do is show them how hot my wife is. If they see how hot my wife is, then they'll know that I'm the man. So he sends word, tell Queen Vashti, sends a servant, tell Queen Vashti, put something on and come join my party so that all my drunk friends can leer at her and stare at her and undress her with their eyes. Like, let's, let's see how the queen likes that. So word is sent. And understand something, church. This was not a request. So word comes to Queen Vashti and... Uh, you know, the, the, the servant comes in and says, uh, the king, uh, your majesty, has ordered that you uh, stop what you're doing and come to him, put something on, wear something pretty, and come to his party because he wants all of the nobles to look at you. Now, this happens while the queen is throwing her own party. So guess what's going on in the other part of the, of the palace? It's Nashville. Bachelor at Weekend, baby. Woohoo! And everybody on that side of the, they, they hear this announcement, and all of a sudden, now Queen Vashti's got girls around her, she's got her friends around her, and they're all like, uh-uh. <laughs> don't, no way, don't do it, that's disgusting. Like, all of a sudden, she had people around her that were probably like, mm, like, don't go. And so Queen Vashti does the unthinkable. She refuses the king's order. This was not done. This was not done. Women did not disobey their husbands at this point. There are places in, 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 in that part of the world now where a woman would not dare to disobey her husband. Thousands of years ago, this was just unthinkable. So now the servant has to go, I'm, uh, like, I'm sorry? Like, I, I, what? No, I'm not going. Okay. Now we cut to a scene back where the guys are doing their party. It's noisy, it's crazy, it's raucous. The servant certainly would not want to broadcast this publicly, so he walks up to Xerxes real quiet-like and kind of bends down and whispers in his ear. And Xerxes like flies up in a rage and goes, she said, what? And now the whole the record scratch, the party stops, everyone's like, what, what happened? What's going on? She refused. She said no. She's not coming. This is now understand something. 
Get this part right. This isn't, the guys weren't disappointed that they weren't going to get to look at the queen. They were upset because all of their wives just saw the queen disrespect the king. All of their wives, all of their wives were there and the queen said no. So now all the guys at the party are like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. If the queen can disobey the king, then our wives are going to start disobeying us. This cannot be. You have to fix this, Xerxes. Like, fix it now. So they put together a little proposal. They said, we, uh, we think you probably should get rid of the queen. And this is what happens next. Verse 19, so if it please the king, we suggest you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and the Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, regardless of their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. Because that's the way they rolled back then. And he did it. He had the queen banished. Now, we don't know, you know, they banished her to bogey land. I don't know what they did. They threw her out the, into outer darkness. We don't know what, what happened to Vashti. She sort of fades out of the picture now. But what we do know is that Xerxes came to regret this. As many wives as he had, as many concubines as he had, as big of a harem as he had, he loved his queen. And that when the six months was over... And he sobered up. He realized what he had done. And he deeply regretted it. <laughs> Next verse. But after Xer This is chapter 2, verse 1. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's unit in charge of the harem, will see that they're all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. So, six months later, everybody goes home, the king sobers up, and he realizes what he did, and he's, he's depressed about it. Like, it's a, it, was a, it was an irrevocable decree that he made. He, he, he buckled to the pressure. He knew he had an audience. He might not have dealt with Vashti that way if he didn't have an audience, but what she did was public, and so he, had to, he couldn't be seen to lose face in that moment. So he has her banished. He's never going to see her again, and he's bummed about it. And his, 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 he's kind of depressed, and his servants come to him. His servants come to him, and they're like, Aw, what's the matter, big guy? You got the blues? You feel all bad? I know. I know what will make you feel better. How about we find beautiful young virgins from all over the kingdom and bring you a bunch of them? How about that? <laughs> and whichever one pleases you most, you can make her the new queen. And then you won't be thinking about nasty old Vashti anymore. How about that? And this pleased the king. He thought, yeah, th that'll, that'll work great. And yes, if you're wondering, this actually is in the Bible. Like, this is real. Okay? So, thus begins 
the first ever episode in history of American Idol. It's the first ever episode of American Idol. There's a whole family of TV shows that begin like, okay, we're going to scour the earth for ordinary people with extraordinary talent, ordinary people with extraordinary beauty. You know, you're talking America's Got Talent. You know, uh, American Idol, The Apprentice, the Miss America pageant, the Miss Universe contest, whatever it is. Like, we're just going to start with millions of people and work our way up to the top. And at the top of it, there's going to be one winner of the whole thing. That's the, the stage that has been set for us in the first two chapters of the book of Esther. Chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is our protagonist, Esther, the main character of the story. Uh, she's beautiful, but not necessarily a beauty queen. She's an ordinary girl, and her, she's an orphan. She's been adopted by her cousin, who she refers to mostly as Uncle Mordecai. And he's raised her as his own daughter. Interesting point and worthy of note, Mordecai and Esther are Jewish. King Xerxes is not. And that's a plot point that's going to come, uh, come into sharp focus very soon in our story. Next verse, as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. So Esther and Uncle Morty are still in touch. And he's kind of walking around the outside of the place. He's not allowed in, but he's, he's, he works in the palace, and he's kind of keeping an eye on her, keeping tabs on her as best he can. And he's instructed her, don't tell anybody you're Jewish. Like, you have to lie about it. Just don't volunteer the information. You know, if, if it comes to the point of a lie, don't lie. But just don't, don't throw it out there unless you're asked a direct question. And she's obeyed her uncle, and that's what's going on. And now Esther has not only made the first cut, she just made the second cut. She was chosen from, am from among all the women in her town or village to, to come to the king's palace. That's the first cut. And she just made the second cut. Like, the, the, the Haggai, the king's servant in charge of the harem, has taken a liking to her. And he's kind of gone, this girl is special. She's something special. She's going to get special treatment. She's got a special diet. She's got a special menu. She's got a special, you know, like, you know, a place in the harem. And, and we're going to kind of promote her. She, Esther is being promoted with speed and rapidity up the pyramid. And we don't really know why. It is almost as if God is working behind the scenes. It's almost as if Esther is where she is for just such a time as this. And that God is working behind the scenes. Before each young woman, next verse, before each young woman 
was taken to the king's bed. Sorry, I lost my place. She was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. So basically, before you go see the king, you go to the spa for, for a year. <laughs> when it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. There, she would be under the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of all the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had specifically, I'm sorry, especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. So understand what we're dealing with here. Second place in this competition is not a set of steak knives. Second place in this competition means you're a prisoner in the palace forever. You're in the king's second harem, and there are dozens, there might even have been hundreds of women in this category. They will never see the king again. They will never know another man. They'll never know life outside the palace. They will simply remain in waiting until such a time as the king perhaps maybe calls on them, which he probably never will because he's probably already forgotten most of those women's names if he ever knew them in the first place. So... First place in this competition is you become queen of the empire. Second place is you end up in the second harem and never, never have a life ever, ever again. That's what we're dealing with here. Before each young woman was taken to the king's... Oh, I'm sorry, I read that part already. When it was Esther's turn to go, for the, go to the king... No, I got it wrong. Hang on. Esther was taken... It's a lot of verses, okay? Shut up. <laughs> Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. So... Esther won. She won the jackpot. In a space of a year, she went from an ordinary girl to being queen of the entire empire. Everybody in the land now envies her. Everybody in the land is looking to her and thinking, oh, if only I could be queen. If only I had that life. Because she's got everything she could ever want. What kind of a life do you want? What jackpot are you chasing? Maybe it's literal jackpot, like winning that lottery would be great. Fix all the money problems, off you go. But it may not have occurred to you that having all that stuff and gaining all that stuff and getting all that stuff could still leave you miserable. I saw an interview this week given by Tom Brady. 
And Tom Brady, if you don't know, it was the quarterback for the Patriots for a while. He's quarterback for the Bucks. He's, he's, it pains me to say it because I'm a Giants fan, but he's, he's, it's really not in dispute that he's the greatest ever to play the game. He's the greatest QB to ever, ever do it. And he's given this interview. And the interviewer, at, at the time, and the year was 2005. And at that time, poor Tom only had three Super Bowl rings. The interviewer's talking to him. He's like, Tom, you just won your third Super Bowl. Like, you've achieved all you've ever wanted to achieve in life. What comes next for you? And Brady just looks at him and goes, I don't don't know. Now, if you don't know Tom Brady, you don't know football. Tom Brady is like, I mean, he's beautiful, okay? Like... (laughs) I'm sorry, but the guy, like, it's just ridiculous. He's big. He's got broad shoulders, chiseled jawline. He's ridiculously handsome. He's, he's just, he's the, he's the quarterback. He's the greatest quarterback who ever lived. He's got millions of dollars that he made playing a game that he loves. He's going to keep making millions of dollars in sponsorship deals in his sleep for the rest of his life. His wife is an actual supermodel. Like, he's, he's got the life that, like, Every other guy in America dreams that they had. And, and so everybody kind of just goes, wow, Tom Brady, like that's the guy. Even if you don't like Tom Brady, you still go, yeah, but he's the guy. And, and so you, he's in this interview and the interviewer goes, well, what comes next? And he just, Brady looks at the camera and he, he, looks, he looks at the, the interviewer and he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what comes next. I don't know what to do next. I, I have everything I ever wanted to have. I don't. Like, he was dumbfounded. He had reached the pinnacle. He had gotten to the point that he'd always been trying to get to his entire life. And now, what else is there? He put that work in. Would you like to come up and preach? We have a guest preacher in the house. Yeah, he put that work in. Yeah, but eventually, but the work, he got to the top of the ladder. L- listen now. He got to the top of the ladder and didn't like the view. Now, you might get to the top of that ladder you're climbing and find, I've been climbing the wrong ladder my whole life. I've been trying to get what I want to get and have what I want to have and do all the things that I want to do and make it about me. And the truth is, you were meant for something different. Esther is in a place now where she's won the jackpot. She's won the lottery. She has the life everybody else in the land is dreaming of. But tests are coming. Trials are coming. Just as they're coming for you. And when they do, you've got to remember that you are where you are for just such a time as this. And even when you don't have all the answers, God is still working behind the scenes. Now, what happens to Esther? I'm going to find that out next week for part two. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful, so grateful that we get to come to your house and and lift up your name and worship you. And we're grateful that we get to have a chance now to set aside our struggles and cares and tune into your word. Father, we all have a preferred future for ourselves. We all have something we're, we're shooting for that we'd like to see happen. But Father, remind us today that even if we get everything we've ever wanted in life, if it's all about us, we're not gonna like the view when we get there. Remind us, Father, day by day, that we are where we are for just such a time as this, that you have a purpose for our life now that involves honoring you and loving the world around us and living an outward-bound life. 
that, Father, even when we don't get it, even when we don't understand, and even when we don't know why you've done what you've done or allowed what you have allowed, we believe and we're trying to believe that you're still at work behind the scenes. Create faith in us to believe and to continue to believe that. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUENORTH to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.